Hey, fellow Boundary Breakers, if your current delegation systems are not working to get you out of the day-to-day in your business, there is an exercise on our website that is the first step to get you out of the delegation catch-22. I'm going to throw the link in the show notes for you to go ahead and download. Business investors or buyers are going to be looking for a good business valuation. There's not like a cut and dry formula for conducting a business evaluation. It's kind of like selling real estate. The value of any property is what someone is willing to pay for it. So it's not like you have a formula that says every five-bedroom house with three bathrooms is going to be, you know, $399.9. If you know who is most likely to buy your business, you can think about why would that particular person or group of people want to buy my business and what is it about my business that's attractive to them. Welcome to another episode of Female Founders Breaking Boundaries. I'm your host, Casey Gromer. I am the founder of She Sweet Boutique. With over 20 years of marketing and business management experience, I work with small businesses and female founders using our signature business blueprint. On the show, you get tools, advice, resources, support, and encouragement that resonates with the modern businesswoman. So, fellow boundary breakers, let's dive in. Boundary Breakers, and welcome to the Female Founders Breaking Boundaries podcast. This is the show that's going to challenge you to forget stale, outdated, and inflexible business strategies and embrace a new way of achieving success that leaves room for your life in the process. In this episode today, we're going to be talking about whether or not your business is saleable. And today's episode topic comes from a listener question and my friend, Angie Trueblood. We are interrupting our regular programming to talk about saleable business today. We have been talking about the business blueprint and breaking the parts of the business blueprint down into the individual components just because the business blueprint is so awesome. And so today we're going to deviate from that a little bit. Now, Angie, thank you so much for reaching out and asking this question. I love when listeners reach out and ask a question. So if you have a topic that you would like to get covered on the podcast, you can message me on LinkedIn or reach out on Instagram. I am at Casey underscore Gromer there and send me a direct message or, you know, I guess we can take snail mail to whatever works for you and let me know what topic you would like to have covered. Angie runs a podcast pitching business, which means she works one-on-one with clients on a strategy and approach to getting featured on other people's podcasts. And her team will actually physically do that pitching for you. But even more than that, she runs the Go Pitch Yourself group program where she teaches other people her methods and framework for getting accepted as a guest speaker on podcast. Angie asks this question about how do I know if I can sell my business or what do I need to do in order to make sure that my business is saleable someday. She asks this question because Angie says, well, I am the business. I'm the one that runs the program. I, you know, I do all the things. And so how does that work? 
Angie, this is such a great question. You are not alone in asking this question. And I think as entrepreneurs and as women with families and people we love and communities and impacts that we are leaving on the world, we want to know how we're going to leave our legacy. What are we really showing up every day at work for? What are we working towards? And what is our exit plan once we are not doing that anymore. So thank you. I love the question. The typical format for this podcast, if you are just tuning in, is that we will spend just a couple of minutes right up front celebrating another female founder. Because when women lift each other up, great things happen. And then we will spend a few more minutes tackling a topic of interest that is relevant to you as a business owner. And then I typically close with some sort of deep thoughts from yours truly. So today, let's start by lifting up a woman in science. Her name was Margaret Mead. Margaret is no longer with us today. Margaret was an American cultural anthropologist who lived between 1901 and 1978. But her story caught my eye because of a famous quote that she had. So we're going to talk about her today. Margaret was a little bit controversial, and I didn't get time to research all of the controversy of her topics. But back in the 60s and 70s, she was speaking out quite a bit on sex. So if I have some extra time, I might go look into, you know, what her philosophies and her teachings were on that topic. Margaret is an author, a speaker, a teacher. She's pretty much all kinds of things. And in fact, I think she was actually the president of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in 1975, which was only three years before she died of pancreatic cancer. Margaret's story is that as she was teaching class, one of her students asked her one day what she thought was the first sign of civilization, because that's kind of what a cultural anthropologist studies is civilization and the history and the evolving of civilization. Most people would think that, and in fact, most anthropologists will show you, um, here's some first signs of civilization, and they'll show you a bunch of clay pots or some religious artifacts or tools. And we kind of feel like, hey, you know, this is the first sign of civilization, because it's a sign that these humans are using our brains to solve problems and to create and invent. But Margaret says, "Mm -mm, nope, she says that a 15,000 year old healed femur And if you're not into uh, biology, the femur is the giant bone that links your hip bone to the knee bone. We all know that if we break that bone or any bone in our body, it takes six weeks of staying off of that bone or not using that bone in order for it to heal. So if you're finding a healed femur bone from 15,000 years ago, that's a pretty big deal. I actually, <laughs> I had to Google this. I'm like, oh my God, what year was that? 15,000 years ago. This is by like 13,000 BC. That is so long ago. 15,000 years ago, if you broke a femur bone, pretty much you died. Because if you have a broken femur bone, you can't run from danger. You can't hunt for food. And so in that day and age, you're probably either eaten by something or you starve to death. So evidence that someone has helped 
this particular person with this particular femur bone to bind that leg up in some way and to make sure that they have stayed safe, they stayed fed, and that they were taken care of while the leg is healed is a sure sign of civilization. And so Margaret is saying that is the first sign of civilization. So thank you, Margaret Mead, for your work in this field of science and also for this important reminder that what really makes us human and not animals is the way that we care for others. So let's take that thought into the rest of our week this week that our job as humans is to care for others. It is time to get into our content this week. Is my business saleable? So the answer is, it depends. And today we're going to talk about all those things that it might depend on. And just to give you a little taste or to get you started thinking about the future in that way, because the sale of a business is a pretty in-depth topic, and we're not going to be able to cover that all in this day. And I'm by no means the end-all be-all expert on selling of the business. And I highly recommend anyone who is interested in selling a business to talk to the experts. And those experts might be an attorney or an investor or a business broker. But One of the first things we want to think about is why in the world would you want to sell your business? So here are some reasons that some people think about selling your business. And I actually encourage each and every one of you to think of your business in this way. And here's why. If you think about the future of your business and what's going to happen to it, you know that at some point you're no longer going to be working. You're either going to be retired or you're going to get sick of it or you might have some health issues. We don't know what exactly is going to happen in the future and why you wouldn't be working in the business anymore, but that's going to happen. And if you don't have an exit strategy or a plan for what's going to happen when you hit that point, you lose everything that you've worked so hard for. And we all know that the time and energy and the blood and the sweat and tears that goes into being an entrepreneur, that's worth saving. And so selling your business or thinking of your exit strategy is part of the legacy that you leave. Your exit strategy is what you consider when you know that you want to in some way continue to capitalize on all of the investment that you've made into your business, even after your physical work is done. So selling your business or your exit strategy is actually kind of like a retirement policy or a retirement plan. If you think of investing, it's more than just the money that you've put into the business. So even if you have a service-based business that you you know, never put a single dime into purchasing inventory or equipment or anything like that, you have invested your time and it's time to get rewarded for that. It's time to recoup on that investment. Sometimes you might want to just switch gears and do something different. It's called burnout and it happens to a lot of us and that's okay. And in that case, if you get burned out, you might be having a midlife crisis and want to um, get into something completely irrelevant to anything you're doing right now. And another reason you might want to sell your business is if you've taken it only as far as you can. And to be that self-aware, I applaud you. To know that, you know what, I've brought this a long way and I have exceeded my abilities in this area, but I know this thing has legs and I want somebody else to take it to the next level, somebody who has that next level experience. 
And those are all reasons that you might consider selling your business. If you think of the reasons you want to sell your business, you also have to think about who might actually be interested in buying your business, right? And when we think of buying businesses, we typically think of the investor. There's venture capitalists, there's angel investors, there's startup investors. Those definitely are a group of people who are very actively buying businesses, but they aren't the only people buying businesses. So let's talk about some of the other people who might be interested in buying your business. First, when we're talking about legacy business, in lots of cases, you may have a family-owned business, or if it's not a family-owned business, maybe there's someone in your family, or you have an adult child, or somebody that you would love to hand the business over to, or you want to keep the business in the family, or that family member may want to keep the business in the family. So family members are definitely a hot topic when it comes to buying businesses. Some other people that might be interested in buying your business would be your own team members. So maybe you have an employee or another team member, or maybe you have partners in the business and one of them is interested in continuing on even when you're done. Other people who might be interested in buying your business would be a competitor, right? So all the time we hear of mergers and acquisitions where a competitor has bought out another competitor because they are looking to expand their vertical growth, which means they are taking their existing business and making it bigger and bigger. In some cases, maybe one of your vendors wants to buy your business if they're interested in horizontal growth, which means expanding the offerings that they have into different complementary areas. So for my research, it also looks like there are a lot of shoppers out there that are coming to us from ex-corporate America. And I don't know why I never thought of this when I left corporate, but how awesome would it be to turn in your two-week notice at corporate and go out and buy a business somewhere and you can forego all of the pain and the time of doing a startup business and you know how long it takes to get going in a startup business. And lots of times there's um, a lot of initial investment. And if you can buy someone else's business, whether you've quit or been let go or downsized or whatever, you can jump right into the next thing without having to spend that time in the startup phase. So these are all of the different types of people who might be interested in buying your business. I want you to keep in mind also that when we're talking about buying businesses, to me, in my opinion, it's kind of a complicated process. It's not my area of expertise, but there's lots of different ways that you can structure the purchase or the sale of a business. And um, if you are serious about this, I highly encourage you to consult with an attorney about what the terms of those agreements could potentially look like so you can be thinking ahead about the types of decisions you might have to make about what the sale of your business might look like. You could also potentially talk to a business broker who could probably share with you some of the same things. If we know the who that might be interested in purchasing your business, you can be prepared in the future to pitch to them. 
And in order to pitch to somebody who might be interested in buying your business, we need to know what those buyers are looking for. It's very similar to um, selling your product or service that you're selling right now, except for you're selling a business. If you know who is most likely to buy your business, you can think about why would that particular person or group of people want to buy my business and what is it about my business that's attractive to them. And as you think about those things, when you're creating your business strategy and your annual and quarterly plans, you can factor those things into the business plan. So you're making sure that you're not only looking out for the growth of your business and the profitability of your business and whatever you know your other goals are, but you can also be thinking about the sale of your business. And you factor all of those things in to help you make decisions about what the best next steps are for you and your team. Business investors or buyers are going to be looking for a good business valuation. There's not like a cut and dry formula for conducting a business evaluation. It's kind of like selling real estate. The value of any property is what someone is willing to pay for it. So it's not like you have a formula that says every five bedroom house with three bathrooms is going to be, you know, $399.9. Things you're going to be looking at in your business are your financial performance. And so knowing that financial performance is going to be scrutinized, something that you can do along the way is making sure that your books are rock solid and really well kept. And any of your financial history and financial paperwork is organized and in good condition. So any kind of deeds or licenses, um, several years of your tax filings, several years of your profit and loss statements, your cash flow statements, your balance sheet with all of your assets and your loans and your liabilities, all of these things need to be really well documented and organized. So if you have a great accountant, or a bookkeeper, that is something that they can help you with. Something else that investors are going to look for is your financial forecast. So looking out into the future, they're going to be looking at the potential income or potential revenue that could be coming from your business so they can determine what kind of investment they are willing to make and um, what would reap a good return on that investment. They are going to be looking at your experience in the industry. They're going to be looking to make sure that you have a solid business plan. So this is actually a timely topic since we're interrupting our talk about the business blueprint. So a business blueprint would be a a key component of a solid business plan. And we also offer a sister service to the business blueprint called strategic growth planning. This is basically your business plan. It's where we marry your business strategy and we look ahead to the next quarter, to the next year. In some cases, they might be looking at your business plan out for the next three to five years. It takes a look at all your finances, your budgets, your marketing plans, you know, your experience, the team members, the market outlook, all of those things are part of a good business plan. And we can definitely help you with that if that is something that you are serious about putting together to sell your business. Something else that a business investor might be looking for is your uniqueness. Obviously, they're investing in something that is going to give them a return. And so they need something that is not everywhere out in the market or something about you that um, says to them that you're going to bring some level of performance to them that they don't already have. And surprisingly, though, 
If you're a Shark Tank watcher, I used to watch Shark Tank religiously. I don't anymore, but I do still follow Barbara Corcoran because, oh my God, she is like the epitome of female founder. Barbara, I know you're not listening, but wouldn't it be awesome to have Barbara on the podcast? So I follow Barbara Corcoran and Shark Tank. And a lot of times those investors will tell you that something that sets businesses apart when they're seeking funding is their story. And the brand, if you're comparing apples to apples, let's say you have two companies that are looking to sell and they are the same on all the levels. The one thing that sets them apart or makes them different is their story. So make sure that you have a really compelling brand story, which is also something that we can help you with and is part of your business blueprint. So back to Angie's original question, what if you are a small business and what if you are the business. I can see how this might be difficult because you're thinking like, if I am the business and I am the one, right? There's a lot of small businesses out there today that are based on a person. We've got lots of speakers. We've got trainers. We've got coaches. We've got all kinds of influencer authors, influencer type people out there who they are the face of their business. So what happens if you are the business? So there's a couple of different ways that we can look at this in terms of what would a buyer be looking for or why would they be interested in buying your business if you are the business and then you just suddenly aren't going to be there anymore your list. So back when we were talking about your sales forecast or your revenue forecasts for the coming years, your list of customers is definitely something that's worth money. These are customers that you have that the purchaser of your business doesn't already have. It's basically predicted revenue. It's not guaranteed, but it's predicted to be coming into the business. So if you have a really engaged set of customers or a really engaged set of prospects or a list of people, is definitely worth some money. And somebody who is looking to buy your business will be looking at that in terms of, is this something that I can work with and that I can capitalize on? Another thing that they might be looking at if they're looking to purchase your business and and you're not going to be there anymore is your framework and your process or whatever it is about you that makes you unique. So something this purchaser of the business doesn't already have on their own, and you can save them time and money and effort if they can just purchase your systems and your processes and your methodologies and all of those things and just hit the ground running without having to recreate the wheel. This is worth paying for. And they can add you to their portfolio without doing their own research and development. So if you're thinking about what it would take to sell your business, make sure that those things are very solid, very systematized, and they're very documented because then you can just pick them up and hand them over to someone else. And instead of Angie Trueblood's go pitch yourself, somebody can say, I love this process, but I'm going to turn it into a different podcast pitching business but they're just going to utilize all of your systems and your list, and there you go. This is especially probably attractive if you're thinking of selling to a family member or to an employee, or when we were talking about those ex-corporate people, that looks attractive to them. Your experience is worth paying for. And so if I'm an ex-corporate person and I'm looking to buy a business and I want to buy a podcast pitching business, but I don't know anything about pitching podcasts, I would come to you and be like, hey, I'm willing to buy your business, but I want you to include all of your experience 
experience with it. So maybe you have, if you're a podcast pitching business, maybe you have a database that's already built up with thousands and thousands of podcasts and those podcast stats and, you know, nuances of the podcasters and what pitches they accept. That experience is worth paying for because it saves that other person from having to do all of that information gathering on their own, which I'm sure, Angie, that has taken you a lot of work and a lot of time. So that is worth paying for. And finally, another thing that people might be looking for when they're looking to buy a business is your relationships. So you may have special relationships with vendors, with suppliers, with referral sources, all of these relationships that you've built up over the years and massaged and cultivated they didn't happen overnight. And if someone buys your business, they can somewhat assume part of that relationship by you saying, hey, I'm Angie, this is what's happening, and we've had a great relationship in the past, and I want to introduce you to Sally over here who's going to be taking over the business while I go travel the country in my mini RV. Angie, I don't know if you're actually going to do that, but if you do, would you please give me a call because I would like to come along. So those are things that you have of value as a small business owner, even if you are the business, that you can think about those things when you are imagining what it would look like to sell the business. When you think about those things and what makes them attractive or lucrative to a buyer, then your pitch or your sales flyer for your business, you can focus on building those things up over the years as you are preparing to exit the business so that in the next, you know, however many years before you exit or retire or move on to something else, these things that make you saleable are really attractive and you've spent time on them and you've cultivated them. So to wrap up today, I just want to remind you, because this is actually the number one thing that I see small businesses do. In fact, I was a real estate agent for literally a hot minute. It was so short of a time period. But I was a real estate agent. And one of the things that we talked about as agents is all of the work that it takes you to create your client lists and to get referrals from people that you've worked with in the past. And then you leave the business and you're just done. And then your past customers don't have you to work with anymore. What's your exit plan? Like, What if you could sell your customer list to another agent and say, hey, I'm happy to introduce you to everyone on my list and to help you get new relationships with these people and continue to get business from them. And you're going to give me a cut of all of the sales that you make that were a referral from or as a result of someone that's in my database. So even though I'm not practicing real estate anymore, I'm still getting a return on the investment for my time of that list that I worked so hard to cultivate all those years. You don't have to be a multi-million dollar business to sell. I think that is intimidating to many people. And I want you to consider that any business that you have created deserves the opportunity to keep going. And you deserve the opportunity to keep getting a return on all of that time and effort that you put in. We also want you to consider who might buy your business and why, so that you can build a business that's attractive to those particular investors. And I want to encourage you to get outside help from a professional, from an expert. I am not a professional and I am not an expert. I know a thing or two, but I'm not signing myself up to give legal advice and I'm not signing myself up to give financial advice over the podcast. 
So consult with a professional. We're happy to introduce you to people in those areas if you need some help there. And I also want to remind you that if you are thinking about selling your business, all of these things are things that we help our clients with. So setting up your business plan, creating your business strategy, thinking ahead to what your exit plan might look like, and what are the things that you need to do to get to a place where your exit strategy is ready to execute. Those are all things that fall under things that we are really good at doing. You can book a discovery call with us on our website at she-sweetboutique.com if that's something you're interested in finding out more information about. Wrapping up today, I have some deep thoughts. And these deep thoughts today were inspired by a quick, quick, quick and dirty conversation that I was having on LinkedIn with someone, but also from an actual real life thing that's kind of been happening on and off for uh, some of the clients that we've worked with in the past. And also, if you didn't know, in a past life, I used to be a fractional CMO, and I've had 15 years of marketing experience. Experience. And so we're going to talk today about marketing. And the comment on LinkedIn, it was a question. Somebody was asking a question about, do vehicle wraps really work? One of the comments on that thread was, I paid XYZ of money for this vehicle wrap and nothing ever came of it. Nobody ever called the number. Nobody ever visited the website, although I don't know how you would know that. So I want us to consider this. There are some things that we do in marketing that you cannot track. And business owners don't like this because marketing is expensive. Dollars going out need to result in more dollars coming in. What I want to propose to you today is yes, that is super important. But I think it's also very important that we look at the big picture of what's happening in our business in terms of what goes out and what comes in. So rather than being focused on the return on each individual tactic in your marketing. Let's call those your micro metrics. Let's look at the big picture. Let's look at your email, for example. If you're wanting to look at the return on investment in your email, you're going to look at how much money you're spending for your copywriters, whoever it is that's writing those emails and setting them up in your CRM and sending them out for you. And then you can look at that email and see exactly how many clicks people made on that email and who made a purchase from a link or a button or who used the link to get your website and make a purchase. You can actually track all of that. But if you consider how people make decisions to buy, it's typically not based on one single tactic. So if I get one email out of the blue from someone I've never heard about has links in it for me to buy something, I'm typically probably not going to click that link and buy. But if you think about if I've seen a billboard for that product, and I have seen a vehicle wrap for that product, and I'm following them on social media, and there's some paid ads in my Facebook feed, all of these things kind of factor into painting the story for me about what this product is, what the brand is all about, and is it something that I'm interested in buying? When that email finally lands in my inbox, I can click the link and know that I want to buy that because of all the other touch points that I've had with that company. So when you're thinking about those metrics, it's really hard to say, I'm going to cut all of my billboards and I'm going to cut 
all of my vehicle reps because they're not leading to sales. So what you might do instead is look at your overall return on marketing spend. And that means that rather than looking at each individual tactic, like I spent $500 on billboards this quarter and nobody called the special number that I had on my billboard, don't write it off just yet. Look at the entire amount of money that you're spending on marketing. So all of your employees, your freelancers, your ad spend, your creative spend, like anything that you're spending on sales and marketing, tally that up. And look at, so let's say we're talking about for the quarter. So tally that up for your quarter and look at how much your sales have grown for the quarter. So if you take your sales growth minus your marketing costs and divide it by your marketing costs, that is your return on your marketing investment. So you can look at that in a big picture. Now, if you have a negative return on marketing investment, absolutely be taking a look at some of those low performing things and stop doing some of them. Another metric that is really important to see the big picture of how your marketing is performing is your cost of acquisition. Cost of acquisition means how much does it all in cost me to acquire a new customer? I'm going to throw you a big hint right now. It costs a whole heck ton more money to acquire a new customer than it does to get an existing customer to keep spending their money with you. But that is another podcast episode for another day. So to find your total cost of acquisition, you're going to add up again, all of those marketing costs all in, all of your contractors, employees, your headcount, your sales spend, your marketing spend, all of it. Add that all together and you're going to divide that number by the number of new customers that you acquired over the same time period. So probably like a quarterly calculation. And that's your cost of acquisition. The kicker here is that your cost of acquisition needs to be less than the customer lifetime value. That means the cost it takes you to get a new customer to buy from you has to be less than the average amount that that customer is going to spend with you over the lifetime of their relationship with you. If it costs you more to acquire that customer than they are actually going to spend with you, you need to take a look at your marketing. Okay, that was some deep thoughts. And I feel like I maybe need to write a blog post about that. So you can look at those calculations and um, figure out how to calculate them in your own business. And I might do that. To wrap up, I want to invite you to join me on LinkedIn. You can request to connect with me. I'm Casey Gromer. And be sure to tell me that you listen to me on the podcast so I know you're not a spammer. You can follow me on Instagram at Casey underscore Gromer. That, ladies, is a wrap. Get out there this week and go ahead and break those boundaries. Honey, what is it that you wanted to tell our listeners today? Get out there and break some boundaries and do it for me and my generation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Female Founders Breaking Boundaries. If you enjoyed this episode, would you be willing to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're tuning in? You can connect with me on LinkedIn using the link in the show notes. And until next week, don't be afraid to get out there and break some boundaries.